farmers will tell you this. The farmers are price takers, not price makers. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Joining me today is Dylan Honkoop with Real Food, Real People is a brand new effort to create community and awareness by connecting farmers and eaters, rural and urban dwellers, and everyone in between. They believe who our food comes from is as important as where it comes from. And now more than ever, it's vital to hear from the people who grow our food. Welcome, Dylan. Real Food, Real People. That's the name of your podcast as well, yeah, correct? It really kind of sums it up. We eat food. Everybody eats food. There are real people that produce that food, whether they're the ones growing it or the ones processing it into something that can be eaten or trucking it around so we can have it in our stores or in our restaurants and the people cooking it up, the chefs, the artisans that are finishing that job right to our tables. That's what the podcast covers. And really it's focused here on Washington state in that whole world of how the food gets from farm to the table and the real humanity that goes into it. Say more about that. Totally the real part. I think food has become in some cases been kind of become kind of a hot button issue and it's become politicized. You know, and there are a lot of people with different interests across the board, across the political spectrum with different financial interests, etc., who have leveraged food and oftentimes it's fear in food, people's fear about what's in their food uh, that they've leveraged for their own game, whatever that it might be. And a lot of that I, I see growing up on a family farm here in Washington state, but then also being involved in the media world. I've seen how a lot of that has served to kind of dehumanize our food and dehumanize the people who produce our food. And there's really this misperception, I think, that our food just comes from machines, basically. These big corporate machines that just spit food out of their system. And in so many cases, at least here in Washington state, you know, I can't speak for the whole country or beyond, but here in Washington state, that is so rarely the case. We need to have a voice for those people who are producing our food because I think it's rightly become an important issue to a lot of consumers. Anybody who eats their food, I think more and more people are recognizing we want to make sure our food is safe, uh, healthy, humanely produced, whether it's toward animals or people that, that are doing the work or towards the environment. We want all those things. That's a good thing, but we need accurate information and we need trust. And that's where the humanity comes in is to start to know who are these people who are stewarding the land and taking care of the animals and working with labor crews that actually, you know, bring the food in and, and all this stuff. Who are they and can we trust them? And that's, that's the real part that I want to make real again with my personal journey as, you know, growing up a farm kid and doing that whole thing and then being a media guy and talking on the radio. I, I finally left that world realizing I wanted to bring the two together. I wanted to tell those stories because that's what I found myself doing in media is it's all about stories, right? And, and, and what really happened to a person, not just the really specific bullet points about whatever occupation they have, what, what all goes into that, the things that happen, the struggles they faced. I wanted to tell those stories and help people share those stories with that public that often doesn't get to see farmers anymore. 
I love that because when we think about farmers and food, there's definitely different categories. So do you want to kind of address? Well, certainly. And and focused here in Washington State, there's in, in a lot of cases, I think a lot of people don't even realize how many different kinds of food we produce here and what all happens to it. And again, any of those issues can be politicized and have been politicized for various reasons, whether it's the ongoing debate about different food technologies and organic food and GMOs and some of those things. Are animals being treated well? Animal welfare concerns and those kinds of issues. But here in Washington State, I think a lot of people are more and more disconnected with the, the real farms and the, and the food. And, and, and so they don't necessarily see things like, okay, our, our state is still the leading producer of a lot of tree fruits, particularly apples. You know, we're, we're famous for our apples. I hope Hopefully a lot of people still know that, but that's a very big deal here in Washington mm-hmm. State. Well, how are those produced? How does how does that world work? A lot of people probably don't know our second biggest, at least in terms of value of, of food that's produced here in Washington, is dairy. And that certainly has been an area of food production that has gotten a lot of criticism and people have a lot of concerns about dairy running the gamut from people who say that dairy shouldn't even be at all and that it's it's not a healthy thing. Dairy's bad for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's really true about that? And even more importantly, who are these people that are producing the dairy products? in our state. So how are they taking care of their cows? How are they, you know, managing environmental issues on their farm? And what's their heart in doing? I think in a lot of cases, that's more important than anything is what's their heart. You know, if, if you can trust that somebody really cares, that's going to influence how they take care of animals on a dairy farm. That's going to influence how they steward the soil. That is the property that they, they grow the crops to feed the animals on, all these kinds of things. So and, and the list goes on from there. The potatoes are really big here in Washington state. We raise quite a bit of beef in this state and other meat, like I talked about tree fruit and then other fruits and vegetables. I grew up on a red raspberry farm. Oh, myself. you did? And yeah. And so up here where I live in the northwest corner of the state, north of Bellingham, is I think by the numbers the biggest red raspberry producing area in the country for processed or frozen red raspberries. So if you get those frozen berry packs at a grocery store, wherever you are in the country and even across the world, there's a good chance they came from up here where I am in, in Whatcom County. Um, so th- that's that's my background. Again, people don't know all of these things, and I just want to start sharing those stories. I grew up vegetarian that way back in the day, mm. and there wasn't that many great options for tastiness. <laughs> but right. I recently, okay, this is so embarrassing, but I was going to California where my grandkids live and I kept seeing these olive orchards and it just occurred to me, I know nothing about olives. I eat them, Mm -hmm. but I know nothing about them. And so I was really excited to talk with you because I feel like there's probably a lot of myths that we could be busting. Well, I think a big one, you know, I touched on it and it it can be a, I don't know, political is the right word, but a hot button issue is the organic issue. And one of the myths is, well, um, organic crops aren't sprayed or there aren't pesticides used in organic production. The truth is they are, they're just organic pesticides. And in some cases that may be a better thing. In some cases, more and more people are saying some of those are maybe more harsh 
compounds, even though they're organic, it doesn't mean that they, there aren't harsh things used to, you know, say, make sure that there aren't bugs on the food that you're eating. Nobody wants to go to the store and pick up food that's got bugs all over it. So that's the consumer's desire. And at the same time, the consumer doesn't want, you know, nasty chemicals on their food either. So how do we balance that? And how do we make sure our food is healthy and clean and free of bugs and all that kind of stuff? That would be, I think, probably one of the leading myths, I think, that people don't understand. And I didn't even necessarily understand for a long time um, that that still goes into our food production. So it's not that we don't do anything to, you know, um, keep our food clean. It's it's what how is that being done and what is really safe and what does science really say versus, you know, what some person with maybe a vested interest or something that you don't realize, you know, a, a political motive or something like that, who's got a blog posted on, and you find it on Google, what they say about an issue. Do you trust them or do you trust that farmer who really has their whole life invested in producing healthy food and certainly doesn't want to poison anyone or send food with bugs to anyone <laughs> um, when, you know, when they're growing food right here in our own state? So tell me a little bit about soil. Soil has become such a big thing. I know. Um, and, and it's kind of cool to me because I've been thinking about it since I was a kid, right? I, I grew up on a farm, but I, people outside of the farming world are starting to see the amazing thing that is soil. Um, I know, just speaking personally, my dad really started taking on, you know, he's a red raspberry grower. Um, he really started tackling this issue of soil health and what that meant to the sustainability of his farm about 20 years ago. I was still in high school and I'm like, okay, what are you talking about, dad? So he was kind of preaching to me some of the basics. And, you know, soil isn't just a medium, a collection of matter that you, you know, feed nutrients through into a plant. That's kind of the older view of it. You know, hey, you know, plants roots go down into soil, they pull, you know, the good nutrients out and everything's happy, right? Right. Well, that's not how soil works. Soil is a living, breathing community and multiple communities, if you ask my dad about it, of <laughs> bacteria, of fungus, minerals, and all, of course, all the chemicals and nutrients together, but how those are interacting with each other and then the plant life that's in there, it all has to work together to grow delicious and healthy and sustainable food. The farming community has been learning so much about that and uh, adapting their practices constantly as new research comes out and, and not even necessarily research, just their own experience of, hey, this works better, that works better. But we're also seeing in doing that, we can grow healthier, better crops that are more sustainable. And, and by, I mean, sustainable is a buzzword, but it means a lot to a farmer because it means they can keep farming, right? If you can't farm sustainably, you, you know, can't feed yourself. <laughs> you can't, you know, make a paycheck to, to keep food on your own table. But as farmers learn more and more about that, they, they can do more with it. They can do a better job and start helping the environment. And that's one of the cool things that, that's more recently become a focus. And, and I know they're talking about that in Congress recently is helping farmers do things to combat climate change by how they manage their soil. And it's become recognized that there are things that, that can be done harmfully uh, towards climate uh, and, and climate change with soil. And there are things, positive things that can be done. And really, some of the experts are saying, if we do a good job of improving our soil health management, taking care of the dirt that we grow our food and our animals on, 
we can actually reverse some of the impacts of, you know, uh, of carbon emissions and some of these negative things that we've been trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, we're all trying to do our part on so many different levels with climate change. Our soil can be a huge key to making a major, major difference on that, almost more powerful uh, of a change than, than anything else anyone's looking at right now uh, nationally and globally. That is so crazy. My daughter-in-law is a, I don't know what you would call it, a rural farmer. And um, she takes a lot of classes on soil and has talked to me about it. And I was just blown away at when you just think about dirt, giving it a break, giving it whatever it needs, that it can change not only the crops, but the air. What my dad says when he's walking on his dirt and in his field on his Mm -hmm. raspberry farm is there's as much life going on beneath my feet as we're seeing above the surface here. You know, everybody looks at the plants and the flora and fauna that we are all familiar seeing. Well, you can't see any of that stuff under the dirt, but there's as much life happening, if not more, under that. And a lot of it is still unknown, you know, a lot of different elements of it. And so it's kind of the unknown, just like they keep finding new species in deep in the ocean all over the right. world every year. It's like dirt gets a bad rap. Yeah. Talk to me about small farms. Back to you were asking about myth. I think that would be another myth, overgeneralization that small farms are good and large farms are bad. Honestly, here's one thing. Most of the farms in this state would technically be in between those. Most of the food production happens on medium-sized farms here in Washington State, for one. But secondly, it's so much more important about how a farm is run, the ethos that goes into it, the family focus of a farm rather than the size of a farm. Small farms out there that honestly really aren't as great maybe as they sound and could do things better. And I know some awfully huge farms that are able to do some amazing things, again, for the environment, for their animals, for their employees, for their community because of their size. And and that goes with their family mentality because what's so important to us is, is family farming versus whatever else it might be, corporate farming or whatever the buzzword might be. A family farm doesn't just exist to make a buck and then if they can't make a buck, they go on and do something else. A family farm exists ultimately, yeah, they have to be able to make money, but even more important than that, they have to have something there for the next generation to continue on. And if that's not there, then it's not worth it. That changes entirely the focus of a farm because sustainability then becomes central and and that affects so many decisions, so many things about what what happens on a farm. So that's what we think is so important. And and it's cool to see over 95% of the farms in Washington state are family owned and operated compared to some of those that aren't, are even run by say Washington State University or or things like that. So really the, the idea, again, it's a buzzword, corporate farming or factory farming, wherever people want to call it, really isn't as prevalent as people might think, particularly here in Washington state. And we don't want that to go away Uh, with the pressures on farming right now. It can be tough for smaller farms, medium sized farms, even larger family farms to survive. In some cases, some of the well-meaning rules out there end up favoring those kinds of farms that people don't like. And, And so by showing people that there are real, you know, there's real humanity going into this. We really want to kind of change the dynamic and and start to embrace what we have here in in our state and improve it rather than throw it out for some pie in the sky 
ideal that may never actually occur. And we end up with a worse situation, which in our minds would be our food being produced elsewhere and being shipped in. Who knows what the environmental protections are for it? Who knows whether workers are being treated fairly, whether animals are being protected and treated humanely. If our food is being grown in a foreign country where who knows what's happening? Market pressures are always a major thing for farms because farmers will tell you this, the farmers are price takers, not price makers. So when, when something changes, and this has happened a lot with COVID, right? In the world of COVID, things have changed in the supply chain. Um, you know, people for a long time weren't, you know, weren't going to restaurants. Most people only have French fries when they're in restaurants. And that, that's been a big thing here in Washington State. There right. were a lot of potatoes with nowhere to go because people weren't eating French fries because they don't make them at home. Um, so those, those are market pressures um, that are always changing. And, and again, COVID being kind of a, a situation that, that has pu- pushed some of those, those things to the max, you know, something in in the supply chain suddenly becomes more expensive or less available, whatever the case might be. A lot of other companies and, you know, anybody in the, in the whole chain of the food from the farm to the table can just say, well, we're going to charge more for that. The farmer, because of how the markets work, and it's can often be pretty complex. The farmer can't just say, well, we're charging more for our, you know, our corn that we're growing. We can't, we're, we're charging more for our milk or our raspberries. It doesn't work that way because they're at that the bottom of that chain. They have to take the price that comes to them and 99 times out of 100. There are a few exceptions to that. That makes things really challenging because then, hey, if if stuff goes on like COVID or other things, you just have to deal with it. And farms will go out of business because of that. And it happens more often than people realize. And often ends up hitting the small farms harder than than anybody. The small family farms that we want to continue have a hard time withstanding some of those things. Some of the other pressures are rules that don't necessarily make sense. Again, like I said earlier, well-intended rules to try to protect people for different things. But if they don't understand what reality is, Sometimes they're protecting people against a boogeyman that isn't real. Maybe the public is worried about something, but is it a real risk? Or is is there somebody else who's kind of drummed up some fear on an issue? I'm just talking about it generically. But that often will lead to you know, lawmakers saying, oh, we got to do something about this. We need to protect people. People are upset. And so they quickly try to make new rules and regulations. Sometimes those are good things. Sometimes those don't really fit. And in, in some cases, worst case scenario, they make things worse. And that's where the voice of the farmer is so important in that, too, because the farmer knows oftentimes better than anybody what's the safest and healthiest way to produce food. Let's, let's work together in trust to really do our best rather than politicize and point fingers and you know, create a, a dynamic that really, again, ends up not being good for our food and pushes our food production away from Washington state. What does your average person like me, what do I do to support my local farmer? For one, make sure you know where your food is being grown. There's so much stuff at the store that people don't realize is being grown elsewhere and support when the time comes, uh, labeling 
for American grown and, and Washington grown products as well. That's so important for people to, to recognize that uh, it's more important and, and often cases, uh, you know, people will focus on, uh, again, organic or non-GMO or different things like that. And, and those have pros and cons. But oftentimes we feel it's more important than anything to make sure your food is grown close to home. And here in Washington State is about as close as you can get with a lot of a lot of the things that we eat. So I would say that's number one. Secondly, listen to the voices of the farmer. Uh, understand they're in unprecedented times, especially with COVID, um, but also even before COVID, just with technology and and changing habits by consumers and different ways that people can get food, make sure to, to listen and give them a seat, give farmers a seat at the table or a little bit of your ear before you make up your mind about what kind of a position you're going to take a, on, say, a controversial issue or or, or make sure you, you look at what, what are the motives of, you know, someone comes along and says, oh, there's something terrible that you need to be worried about in your food. Ask some questions. What's their motivation in saying that? Because some people raise legitimate concerns and some people are playing a different game and and they want to sell you their other product, if you know what I mean. They've got their ulterior motives. The best way people can do that is to listen to your podcast because you're talking to the farmers. Do you want to just briefly tell us? Oh, gosh, yeah. I've done so many interviews and I'm really trying to make it about the whole person. I love to get the tidbits about how they farm, kinds of crops they grow, how they actually get that to people, how they care for the environment, steward their land and take care of the animals and their employees. I try to get into all that. But I also want to hear about their family and why do they do what they do? Where did they go to college and stuff like that, that makes them real people. And again, the podcast is Real Food, Real People podcast. It's on all platforms, the website, realfoodrealpeople.org. And I'd really appreciate people check that out or at least follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. So that's a way people can connect. I don't know if you've been able to pick this up from, from our conversation here, but I really want it to just be a starting point. Again, there are hot button issues. Each farmer that I talk to comes from a different place and has a different perspective and their politics or on food or different things. I just want to hear from them before I make any judgment. I hope anybody listening to the podcast does the same, is willing to hear them out, even if they may disagree with them on some issues, just to start bringing people together first. And then we can hash out some of those more sticky issues. One of the favorite people that I've talked to so far on the podcast is Larry Stapp. He runs a small dairy up actually in my area. That was probably the most emotional podcast episodes that I've done so far. He talks about his son who passed away from cancer. He was just 19 or 20 years old and the impact that had on him and his farm. And then a lot of people are familiar with his milk. It's Winbrook Creamery. It comes in glass bottles. It's one of the few that, that does that here in our region. And so he talked about how they've started doing that, the growth of their brand and connecting with people all over the state. So that, that's probably been one of my favorite episodes. Another really intense one was with Juan Garcia, a red raspberry grower up here also in my area. And he shared a lot of stuff about what he puts into growing raspberries. And he shared his struggle with alcohol and it got really, really intense. So that's the stuff that I really look for and I really love in these podcasts. And as I look for new farmers, more farmers to interview all over Washington State, I want to hear the real story, someone who's willing to really open up and share themselves with us on the podcast. 
I think one thing we've learned during COVID is how important connection and story is. And for instance, you and I did a little talking before because we have radio in common, but then you said you grew up on a red raspberry farm. And where I grew up in Coopville, there's a raspberry farm. And so immediately I made that connection. Kudos to you for taking this on. Again, the podcast is Real Food, Real People. What days does it drop? Every Monday morning, unless I'm slacking off and it comes a little bit late, but I'm trying not to do that. But it's always Monday, doggone it. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So to get it out there. all you really have to do, if, if you're not into podcasts yet, you have an app on your phone, most likely find it, get a teenager and just put in the search <laughs> bar, real food, real people, it will pop up. Then you want to subscribe. And if you listen and you love it, give a five-star rating because that will help Dylan's podcast get uh, more publicity because this is something that we really want to know about and we want to support our state and our farmers because it's so important like you said global warming for our air even where do we want to take our kids on field trips we want to take them to a farm to see how how that all works so thank you so much dylan for for what you're doing here and any way that we can support you hopefully people will go check out your podcast thank you so much laura i really appreciate the time and i appreciate everyone who goes and checks out real food real people it helps a lot to turn things around as far as our food and our food system here in washington state we eat food everybody eats food there are real people that produce that food whether they're the ones growing it or the ones processing it into something that can be eaten or trucking it around so we can have it in our stores or in our restaurants and the people cooking it up, the chefs, the artisans that are finishing that job right to our tables. That's what the podcast covers. And really it's focused here on Washington state in that whole world of how the food gets from farm to the table and the real humanity that goes into it. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.